Well, let me add my welcome. My name is Rob, one of the pastors here. Also the guy that Joe made fun of earlier. Joe, we're going to be talking about a gentleman named Judas later tonight. I want to listen up. Um, <laughs> no, let's be clear about that right up front. Uh, welcome to our Monday, Thursday service. Um, it's kind of exciting. It's our first one here as a, a Fairfax family, our first time celebrating it out here, and we're really excited about that. Um, I was walking here to set up with uh, some of my friends this evening, and uh, as I was walking here past some trees that were blossoming, and then snow started to fall, right? Did anybody else see that? It's like, it's snowing, there's flowers, I don't know how to feel right now, um, which is, uh, it reminded me of a, a podcast I heard a couple weeks ago. They happened to be interviewing this uh, expert in child development, and uh, this individual said that children uh, are, are really are challenged when it comes to both identifying their emotions and then dealing with them in a healthy manner. And as I heard this person say that, I thought, hmm. Most adults I know are challenged when it comes to identifying their emotions and then dealing with them in a healthy manner, um, this adult included, right? Uh, th- think about the past year. If I, if I ask you, what are three words that you would use to describe this past year? What, what words would they be? How about um, three emotions? Like if you had to assign you know, three emotions to the past year, what would they B, what would you come up with? Maybe talk about it in the car ride home tonight. You don't need the past year. Just think about the past week. It's Thursday. You're coming in here. Three emotions that would describe your past week. What would they be? We're going to see in our passage tonight that um, Jesus is sensing something in the disciples, an emotion, and he, he speaks to it. He, he, he sees that they're sad and they're confused, and so he addresses this uh, sadness and confusion, and we're going to see his compassion, we're going to see his love there. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 16. We're going to read verses 16 through 24 together. They'll be up on the screen. You can turn there in your Bible as well. Hear now the word of God. A little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, A little while, and you will not see me, and again, a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. 
And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me, friends. Merciful Father, would you open our eyes, give us ears to hear tonight that we might see our Savior, that we might hear of Him, that we might be transformed by Your truth, that we might know what it means for our lives. Show us our Savior Jesus, for we wish to and desperately need to see Him. Do this by Your Spirit and for Your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Did you pick up on that theme? Did you pick up on that emotion as we made our way through those verses, the talk of sorrow, the talk of weeping? Um, we're going to key in tonight on the lessons that these verses have to teach us about grief, right? And we're going to come at it from a few angles. We're going to look at what it is and then what it's not and what the antidote to it is, all right? Grief, what it is, what it's not, and what the antidote is. Is to it, but first let's get the lay of the land. Let's make sure that we have the context uh, where we're at tonight. All right, so Holy Week, Palm Sunday was this past Sunday, right? So the triumphal entry, Jesus entering into Jerusalem. We looked on Sunday about these inquisitive Greeks and how they kind of ushered the way for Jesus to say, Okay, the time has come, the hour is here. Now it's Thursday night. You are at church on Thursday night. All right, that can only mean one thing. It's Monday, Thursday. All right, that's, as Joe said, it's the night uh, that we remember Jesus spending that final evening with the disciples um, before he went to the cross. And this is an interesting night, right? There are some things about this night that are very ordinary. They are celebrating the Passover meal. The disciples would have celebrated this all their life, right? Year after year. That's what they would have done. God's people would have celebrated this meal for centuries. Very ordinary. And then there are some things going on that no doubt have the disciples' heads spinning. Right? Like Jesus decides to start the night off by washing some feet, right? What's going on with that? Uh, he had just come into the city with shouts of Hosanna and rumors that he might be a king. Kings don't wash feet unless maybe they're a different kind of king. Right? And they're there. They're enjoying the meal. And Jesus says something like this. Hey, I'm going to dip some bread and whoever I give it to is going to betray me. Here you go, Judas. Can you imagine... Uh, the eyes crossing the table there and then, kind of people shooting looks. What in the world is going on? Judas bounces, leaves the room, and, uh, and then they hear that Peter actually is going to deny Jesus. The strong one, the outspoken one, the brave one, he's, he's going to deny Jesus three times. What in the world is going on? Um, we're entering into that room. All right, we're, we're joining this conversation right here. And for the most parts at this point in the evening, the disciples are primarily sad and confused. 
Right? We read it there in verse 17 that Jesus is striking on this note that he's, he's been hitting on throughout the evening saying, guys, I'm going to be leaving. All right? You're not going to be seeing me. I'm, I'm going to go, but then I'm going to come back. All right? And the disciples are not picking up what he's putting down. All right? Like, it's just not computing for them. They're not getting it. And Jesus, being Jesus, does what he does. He realizes that they're not getting it. And he says, hey, guys, um, this is what you're confused about, right? Again, I love the compassion of Jesus. He can tell um, that they're sad and they're confused. And he's the kind of Savior that enters into that, right? He doesn't leave them in their confusion. He doesn't leave them in their sadness. But he enters into it. He moves towards them. And he says, actually, let me clarify this for you. Let me try to build some, uh, some understanding. That's who Jesus is. See his heart there as he moves towards them. And so he's going to clarify. Uh, we see kind of in verse 20, he says, listen, there's going to be weeping and sorrow. That is a reality. He clarifies it in these two parts. Part one, there's going to be weeping and sorrow. But he goes on to say that sorrow is going to come to an end. Grief is going to come to an end because joy will arrive. Let's, let's talk about what grief is. We're going to start there. All right. So, so what grief is, it's helpful as we begin the discussion just to acknowledge this. Um, it exists. Just to state it that plainly and namely that there is grief in this world. There, um, if it helps to have a, a working definition, grief, grief is what we experience when we experience a loss, whether it's physical or, or something abstract. When we experience loss, we experience grief. All right, and Jesus just names it and says it. Listen, there's going to be this sorrow and sadness because you're losing something. You're losing my physical pre presence, and so there is going to be sorrow and weeping. He just names it. Okay, so here, point one, there is grief, all right? You're like, wow, thank you, Captain Obvious. Like, um, is that the keen and analytical insight that comes with a master's degree in theology, right? Um, but friends, see that um, those that were closest to Jesus were promised to experience grief, right? Um, they were not above experiencing grief. Jesus was helping them to see, don't be surprised when it enters into your life. Don't be shocked when it enters into your life. Um, being one of my followers doesn't get you a get out of grief and sorrow free card. Um, life in this fallen world involves grief. So he helps his disciples see that there. Um, when our boys were growing up, we read from this book called the Jesus Storybook Bible, uh, Sally Lloyd-Jones, and um, she makes this point in it uh, that the scriptures make that, that Jesus came um, to make all sad things come untrue, right? That, that's the whole reason he came was because there is this sadness and grief, and he came to make it all untrue, but until he returns, we still navigate it. We still face it. There is still death. There is still cancer, and there is still loss. Um, kids in here, teenagers in here, you know of grief and sadness, right? Sometimes you have to move school. Sometimes school's called off for a really long time. Sometimes people say things um, about you that hurt, 
right? And especially as you kind of move through the teenage years and young adults, uh, you start realizing and you start looking at the lives of those around you and you know many of them are filled with grief and sorrow. Um, Friends, Christianity addresses grief directly, all right? Um, There's no denial. There's no claims of somehow it's just an illusion. There's no rose-colored glasses. It says sorrow and mourning and weeping are real. But it also says this. Um, Grief is temporary. Grief is is temporary. We, we read it there in verse 20, uh, the end of the verse, look at it there. It says, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. Uh, he says that, and then he gives this extraordinary illustration that involves childbirth. Now, um, full disclosure, all right? I always uh, am a little apprehensive when any man wants to talk about a woman's experience of childbirth, all right? But this is Jesus, co-creator of all things, so we can make an exception. Uh, But even in sharing upon, uh, you know, kind of some reflections upon his teaching here, I think we can be helped by uh, hearing from one of our new moms. I don't know if you read our uh, devotional uh, today, our our Holy Week devotional. Rachel Kettle wrote uh, in it, and she wrote about her experience as a new mom, and she said, hey, listen, uh, when I got pregnant, a bunch of my friends were telling me, hey, you're not going to remember the pain and anguish and agony of it. And she said, I wasn't buying it, right? She's like, I wasn't having any of it. Uh, and she said, actually, I felt that way until about a month ago. I really appreciated um, her words. I had them here. Let me uh, share them with you, all right? Rachel Kettle says this, and then it happened. A year and a half after that positive test, I finally thought, maybe someday I would want to have another baby. (laughs) For me, it was not only seeing my daughter in her first moments of life that dimmed the pain, but also seeing her grow, laugh, and play. Seeing the light in her eyes and the joy of a human being born into the world. Memories of the pain faded like the scar on my abdomen. There's a joy that can make grief or pain fade. Right? There's, there's a joy um, on the other side of grief and pain that can transform the grief. It's not like the grief was never there. It's not like the grief was never experienced. It's not like the pain didn't happen. All of it did, I'm sure. But something's happened inside of her on the other side of grief, and now joy has come that's brought a transformation that's changed the way that she views her grief and her pain and her suffering. Jesus says, something's going on like that. My leaving and my returning is something like that when it comes to your grief and how we process it, how we handle it. Um, I want to be aware that when I say grief is temporary, um, I don't want that to sound like an oversimplification or, or dismissive. Um, grief is temporary, but sometimes it lasts for months. Sometimes it lasts for years. Some of you might have read um, Oxford professor C.S. Lewis's 
uh, journals that he kept while he watched his wife die of cancer. Right? A grief observed is what they're titled. He said, actually, um, I finally stopped writing uh, about it when I just ran out of empty journals around the house because um, I didn't want to go out and buy more journals for this purpose. Um, it was a temporary grief, but it was a grief that lasted a long time. And in some ways, he says, in some ways, it, it never came to an end in this earthly life. Listen to, to what he says. Um, There's no reason why I should ever stop. There's something new to be chronicled every day. That is, as he walked his days on this earth, there was, there was some kind of new understanding and experience of grief as he, he mourned his wife's battle with cancer, right? And... Um, as I was reflecting on that, I think of the, the pain in my life, right? We all have stories. We all have pain. For me, um, I think it's something in the way that I carry and process um, grief associated with my biological father. So, some of you would know my story. Um, my biological dad, for all intents and purposes, left when I was in third grade, abandoned our family. Uh, he passed away a couple of years ago. Um, that's a grief and a sorrow um, that in some ways I feel like I'll be walking with and, and processing all of my life, right? Even as I see my two incredible boys growing up, sometimes it still touches on that. Sometimes I'm still reminded of that pain and that sorrow, and I will be until one day. Until one day when there will be no more grief and there will be no more sorrow, Right, I love the way that Peter says it here. Listen to what Peter says, 1 Peter 5.10. Um, after you've suffered a little while, and notice Peter's using that same language Jesus uses, a little while. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Grief is temporary. So we've talked about what grief is, all right, that the reality that exists and that it's temporary. I want to talk for a second about what grief's not, all right? I want you to hear this, all right? Grief is not a lack of faith. Grief is not a lack of faith. Why do you say that, Rob? It's because I've sat in enough living rooms. I've sat in enough hospital rooms and I've been with friends and I've been with members of our church family and I've heard them almost apologize for being sad, right? As if there's something wrong because they're grieving and something wrong because they're mourning and they're upset because of the diagnosis they just got or their loved one just got or, or what just blew up in their family. And I want you to know that... Um, you need to lose any notion that somehow grieving is unchristian. All right? You, um, that is rubbish. All right? Um, uh, uh, look at the Psalms, right? David's grief is on full display. There's all kinds of different Psalms. You know that? You want, you want to know what the, one of the most common kinds is? A Psalm of Lament. I don't think that's by accident. I think it's because psalms are written by people that live in a fallen world. And then there's Job, right? If grief is how we respond to loss, Job loses his family, his wealth, his health. And how does he respond? He rips his clothes. 
He puts ash on his head. He sits on the ground, right? Like He cries out to God, and, and it's made abundantly clear that Job never sinned. All right, so um, grief is not a lack of faith. All right, it is okay to grieve. It's okay to be sorrow, sorrowful. It's, it's okay to be sad. Um, final point, all right, what grief is. It's temporary. It's not a lack of faith. Let, let's talk about the antidote, right? Um, maybe you've picked it up by now. Maybe you've, you've seen it already. But um, the antidote to, to grief is joy. All right, it's, it's seeing and understanding all that we have in Christ. Um, that's what changes our grief. Uh, I don't know if it's too soon to use language like this. Um, in, in some senses, we are vaccinated. Is it too soon? Right? I mean, we're, in, we're at Inova, right? We can talk this way, okay? Um, uh, in some ways, we're vaccinated, um, not against, again, not, not against the presence of grief, but the, the fatality of it, the, the defeating of it, right? We're, we're vaccinated against that. Um, by understanding what we have in Christ uh, and the joy that is found in Him. Um, can we go back to some of where we started? Identifying our emotions and processing them healthily. Right? It's not a matter of um, if you're going to process your grief. It's a matter of how you're going to process it. Right? It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of how you're going to process your grief. Um, I think it was this week or the last week, Liz and I watched this movie called Nomadland, right? Maybe you've seen it it's up for six Academy Awards. And as I was watching it, I realized this is a story about a people who are struggling to process their grief. How, how do you process your grief? Well, we're going we're gonna to be clear about the antidote, but let me ask you first. Let me press in. How do you process your grief? Do you just deny it? Do you sweep it under the rug? Um, do you turn to substances, um, to alcohol, to prescription medicine? Um, do you go to unhealthy relationships? Because you just don't know what to do with this pain and this sorrow, and this just numbs it for a little bit when you run to these places. Um, maybe it looks very respectable. You're pursuing the approval and the attention and the affirmation of others in a very um, well-mannered way. All the while, it's still just a sick and dirty way to process and deal with your grief. It's a way that leaves you exhausted and in no way comforted. The antidote is turning to Christ and finding joy in him. I ran across a quote from Tim Keller. He's a pastor up in New York City. He says it this way, helpfully. Um, joy is the buoyancy that results from the enjoyment of the unchanging privileges we have in God. I really like that word buoyancy. Joy is the buoyancy that results from the enjoyment of the unchanging privileges we have in God. Here's why I like buoyancy, because it says, listen, you could be surrounded by grief, but you won't sink if you have joy in Christ. Right? I immediately thought of uh, 
Corrie Ten Boom, right, and, and her sister Betsy in the concentration camp. If you haven't read it, read The Hiding Place. Surrounded by grief um, in, in the midst of a concentration camp, but yet they did not sink because theirs was a joy in Christ that buoyed them, that kept them afloat, that transformed their grief in such a way that it did not prove fatal. So we need to see what we have in Christ. We need to see him here at this dinner, here in these elements. As the guys are confused and sad, he moves towards them and answers their questions and seeks to love them. Um, Right after this meal, he's going to go out into a garden. You want to talk about grief. Um, There will be blood-laden tears that flow from our Savior's face, right? He knows something of grief. Um, You're not going to experience a level of grief that your Savior hasn't experienced. He identifies with you in your grief. And he's going to um, go from the garden to the cross uh, and experience an ultimate level of grief so that you and I never have to. Right on the cross, he's going to cry out from one of those psalms of lament that David wrote, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's going to be forsaken so that we never have to know that kind of pain, right? He's going to be punished so that we can be forgiven. He's, uh, um, he's going to be excluded so that we can be brought into the family of God. Um. The antidote is joy, right? And Jesus goes to the cross for the joy set before him, right? The joy that he might bring glory to the Father by bringing you and I into his family. Friends, that's what we need to see if we're going to to, to process our grief um, in a healthy manner. I'm going to end with the same way that Jesus ends, all right? Jesus says, hey, followers, in your sadness, in your confusion, uh, ask for what you need from my Father. All right? You can ask for what you need in my name. Just mention my name. Ask for what you need. Um, In your grieving, listen, there's 50-some of us here tonight. I don't know all your stories. Um, I don't know what you all need, but I know who you need. Um, You need Christ, and Christ would say, hey, Um, In your sorrow, in your struggles, go to the Father and ask for what you need in my name. Let's do that now. Heavenly Father, we come tonight and we pray you would help us to see all that we have in Christ. Help us to see our Savior, uh, to see his love for us. Father, help us to know what it means for our sorrow and our sadness. Help us to know what it means for our pain and for our grief. Um, Would you transform us tonight? Maybe some of us for the first time need to to admit we've been running everywhere else except to you. Father, would you bring people from death to life tonight uh, that they might find hope and healing in Christ? It's in his name that we pray. Amen.